1 Timothy and chapter number 1. We certainly have been grateful for what God has done in our hearts, and I think by testimony we certainly have been aware of the fact that God is nurturing our faith. And we thank the Lord when He encourages us, nurtures our faith. And God obviously does that several ways, but we know that faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So we've been through a whole week of the preaching of the Word of God. And if you had half a heart to hear, I can guarantee you God did a faith-building work in your heart. And I think most of you out here have at least sometime in your life experienced a segment of your life when it was marked by believing God. I hope that's occurring right now, but uh, if not, I assume that most of you have had, maybe not, but most of you have had a time where you really, uh, really knew you are just walking by faith, God was doing great things, you just had a great belief, trust in God, it was just like, uh, boy, the future looked great and uh, the promises of God were bright and you just looked like the future was optimistic and etc. Now, the question I would ask is, did that continue? How many would be willing to admit that at least once in your life you did have a time where you'd have to admit there was something going on and there was a lot of faith, but it didn't last? Would you raise your hand, please, with me? Okay. What I want to deal with is why. Why doesn't it last? Now, all I'm really dealing with is, in a certain sense, what are the things that kill faith is really what I want to do. What are the things that hurt faith? Obviously, I can't be extensive in the short time we have, but I'd like to at least get you thinking because I believe right now there's a lot of you who are walking by faith. God's doing good things. And perhaps because of previous failure and defeat, you're thinking, well, this is good, too good to be true. Can this continue? The answer is yes, it can continue. But let me just tell you, there is a battle, and I'm going to tell you why there's a battle. And I think in a moment you'll understand this. Uh, I have been uh, heard this. I suppose you know this. I don't think this takes a lot of theology to get this. But if there's anything Satan hates, I believe with all of my heart, Satan hates the most is he hates Jesus Christ. And so when a believer starts to walk by faith, guess what happened? People start seeing Jesus. Now, do you wanna, I want to ask you a question. You think this, the devil just lays down and says, well, I guess I lost another one. Do you think he does that? No. He does not want Jesus to be seen, so he's going to do everything he can to try to, to hurt your faith. Because we know faith is what connects us to the Lord Jesus being seen. It's a walk in dependence on Him, so that as we walk, people see and hear the Lord Jesus. Sometimes we don't even realize how much He is living through us and impacting others. And we know that comes because you are now walking in dependence upon Him. And we realize there's measures of that. Uh, the Bible tells about God's grace being poured out on Jesus without measure, so we recognize there are measures. We understand that. But nonetheless, in some measure, whenever Jesus is seen, uh, the enemy is not happy about that, and he's certainly going to attack your faith. Let me just simply say this. The battle is not about doing. The battle is about believing. Because if you believe, you're going to do. The Bible tells us that. So the real battle is always about your faith. If you believe the battle is about doing, you're in what we call struggle theology. But the real battle really is not about doing. The real battle is about believing. Because if you believe, you will do. And if you don't do, your faith is dead. You're really not believing. So it's pretty simple that the real battle is right there. Now, I want to just this morning deal very quickly with uh, just the things that hinder your faith so that you can be, on the, uh, uh, be aware of these things and recognize you don't have to fall prey to them. Your faith doesn't have to get hurt. Uh, you can go on and recognize there is a battle, which means there's going to be times Satan is going to try to hurt your faith, and you can battle through to victory. We've already heard testimonies that are along that line. Understanding who you are in Christ is a great weapon uh, against that. I'm really not preaching on the weapons. I'm teaching, preaching on the attack. I hope many of you at least understand some of the weapons we have when the enemy attacks that we can use to protect our faith, nurture our faith, etc. 
I'm going to do something that's a little unusual. I think I've done this once or twice before, but I'm going to ask one of our students to come. Ask Tristan to come to the platform and give a testimony. Now, before he comes, I want to simply give you a little context. Tristan traveled with us in the fall. He was a freshman here. You can come up there, stand. I'll let you stand, look like an idiot. And uh, so um, uh, he traveled with me a semester, so he knows. Okay, so um, he traveled uh, with us first semester. He was a student here first semester that had to work. Many of you know that. So the uh, Lord worked it out for him to just kind of be out for a year and come back as a student. Uh, anytime you're in a tour like that, it's a 13-week it's a um lesson. I don't know how to explain it. God just works in all of our lives, and we had a wonderful tour. But there's some things that occurred along the way that I was struck uh, with some things that God was doing in Tristan's heart uh, that um, really opened my eyes to some things. Uh, in other words, let me just say this. As I was working with Tristan, I was puzzled. I was thinking, why can't I help him more? But when he came and, and uh, told me what he, he's about to tell you, I said, that's it. That's it. That's going to make a huge difference in his life. So I want him to give that testimony, then I'll continue the message. So definitely wanted to turn this blessing to uh, travel special forces and just see God do miracles um, every single week and uh, see uh, lives change and war nights and in Christian school. I think one of the main burdens I had each week was to, uh, was, was to see every Christian young schooler all the way through for God. To really answer the question, where, are you going to obey God all the way or just part of the way? And then as that question arose through the semester for the all those teenagers, the question came into my life, was I going to obey God all the way, or was I just going to go part of the way? And so through that kind of pilgrimage of faith, the Lord brought just, uh, I think, two or three um, different things I had in my own life that I needed to deal with. And I got those things right, and I, I chose to believe God and trusted Him to, to work it out, got those things clean, talked to my parents and Pastor Swanson. But and even as that occurred, I still wasn't seeing victory. The Lord was gracious enough to give me times of... Um, blessing during preaching and uh, just seeing the Lord use me in counseling, salvation counseling and otherwise, but I wasn't free. I was tremendously burdened in discouragement, just wondering what in the world was going on. I talked to Dr. Jim about the kind of tension between rest and seeking the Lord, thirsting after him, and I, I just, I could not figure it out. I cannot, I wasn't meeting with God every morning, even though obviously special forces, you have limited time. But even with the time I had it, I, I just it wasn't, it wasn't happening. I was craving, craving for God to just give me a deliverance. And it wasn't until the second to last week of the tour in Miami that God finally showed me what I wasn't willing to give up, what I needed, what he specifically wanted me to do. This Christian school too, was 220 students, um, just an insane, really busy week with the Christian schoolers incredibly hardened in their hearts. From day one, we saw, we saw the need. And the Lord made me realize, Tristan, none of these teens are going to be worked on. None of these, you're not going to see any of these teens through on your team or, 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 or otherwise unless you deal with the way that you dress. My suitcase that I brought on tour was absolutely chock full of worldly, trendy, popular brand clothes that I had desired but that no Christian young person should ever be wearing, guy or girl, whichever. And the Lord made it so clear. I was, I, I was, I was grieving him. I had some talks with the guys about it, but the Lord made it finally clear that week, that's what's hindering your life. That's what's hindering God's power on you. And I, I made justifications for it and excuses, but I, I, I couldn't get away with the fact that, that was God, that's what God was pointing to. And so for the first few days of that week, I 
I resisted, I, I saw it, I recognized it, I acknowledged it, but I, I wasn't willing to deal with it until about Wednesday. I, I couldn't stand it anymore. And while Dr. Jim was having it, just a talk with Ryan and Wyatt, um, privately I just burst in on the meeting and in tears, I was, I just apologized and poured my heart out and said, oh, I'm sorry for the testimony, the horrible testimony I was to them and to the team. I would later get around with the whole team and um, just absolutely shocked that God was still able to use me that whole tour while I was dressing the way I was. And I was, um, it was difficult, but I knew exactly what God wanted me to do to go all the way through, all the way. And so on that Friday night, testimony service, I gave testimony in front of all those teenagers, the ones in my team, the ones visiting of what God was doing in my life. And in front of them all, I burned pretty much everything in my suitcase. I burned it all. You know what? And I loved it. I loved it. It was gone. I loved it. It was gone. It was the most freeing thing. And I think there might be someone in this room that might be dealing with something similar. They might, be, you know, they might, they might not have something that's a brand that's plastered across their shirt or whatever. But they, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a reason you dress like that. There's a reason I dress like that. It's because I wanted to identify with the world in some way. And I, you, and you compromise with it. And that's how I was doing. I wasn't obeying our, the classic command of Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world. I certainly was. But I was finally free of it. And you know what? When I finally got that junk out of my life, God did something for me, the most glorious thing I, I could have ever imagined, Amen. that when I, um, I was not only just free for the, for the last week on tour, but on, at home, I got the chance to preach to my teenagers in home church. And I preached to them before, but definitely didn't feel a great deliverance in preaching. It was just... Um, just felt weak and not really led a spirit in that way. So I, I plowed through it a couple times. But this past Christmas break, preaching from Isaiah 55, seeking the presence of the Lord, I finally found out what it was. Yeah, you can seek him, and you will find him. And I, I preached that and knew God was all over it because I was free from um, all the stuff I was, I was wearing. And even my first semester here, I had uh, worn some of it. So I ask your forgiveness for that. Um, and um, I'm just glad it's gone. And I'm telling you, if there's any one of you thinking that there might be something you need to do with in your heart, not just, I'm, you know, I don't even have to mention a specific brand or anything, but just know, just think, am I conforming to the world in any way? God, how would you have me deal with it? How are we going, going to obey the, even the command of Ephesians 4.1, what Mr. Reed talked about in Devo's recently, walking worthy of the vocation wherewith we are called? That's the choice I needed to make. So Tristan's a nerd like the rest of us now, okay? So, um, <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. But I, uh, there's a couple of things he said we're going to deal with here in a moment as we go through a passage of Scripture. I appreciate his humility and honesty in front of you, and I'm going to ask you as a student body, because I think it'll be healthy for him to hear it. If you forgive Tristan, if you were here last year, and you forgive Tristan, would you just say amen? Amen. amen. I knew you would. And... Uh, uh, when Tristan showed up, I, I thought, man, I don't know, those clothes look a little trendy, but I figured he's been out for, you know, you know whatever. I, I just, you know, I don't know everything about teen culture, uh, but I do know when he talked to me and uh, talked to the team, I thought, that's it. That is it. That's what it is that's holding Tristan back. And honestly, I've never heard Tristan speak more fluently than he just spoke in the last few minutes. That's because God's on it now. You know, it's not human anymore. And see, some of you, you, you guys and girls... Have to, it's like this, the thing that Tristan is saying is, he knew. 
He knew why he bought him. So he knew his motivation in buying him. This is not a matter of, you know, oh, yeah, you know. No, it's a matter of knowing, knowing. And then the Lord saying, that's it. So I thank the Lord for his testimony, his pilgrimage. I know God's going to use his story, and I'm sure he used it this morning. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, let's look at this real quickly. Something that hurts faith, and this is huge. This is why in dealing with Tristan, I was puzzled. Because I was puzzled, why couldn't we get this faith thing down? Obviously, his testimony and this passage of Scripture will now make it clear. Verse 18 of 1 Timothy chapter number 1. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away. Now that having put away is referring to the conscience, not the faith. So holding faith, in other words, I, I want to be a man of faith, and good conscience, which some have put away. Okay, they're pushing away the conscience concerning faith have made shipwreck. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way, professed Christians who make shipwreck of their faith do so by sinning against their conscience. The idea of putting away there is thrusting it away. So it's the idea of your conscience telling you this is wrong, or you need to do this, or you don't, shouldn't do this, and you thrust it away. Now, when you do that, you know what you do? You shipwreck your faith. Because what you're saying is, see, some of you out here, if you've ever walked out of a counseling session and someone said, you know, here, here, you need to obey this, or you need to do this, or you need to get right with your parents, or you need to come clean over here, and you have walked out and said, I'm not going to do that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You pushed away what was not somebody's opinion, it was biblical. You realized, yeah, that's what I need to do. I need to do this. But you thrust it away, and what you did is you shipwrecked your faith. That's why when you're sitting around here hearing these testimonies, people glowing, meeting with God, you say, why am I not meeting with God? Well, it's real simple. You, you hurt your faith. Like this. If you can't believe God when He says, don't be conformed to the world, you won't believe God when it says, seek me and you'll find me. See, any time you say no to the Bible or to the Holy Spirit, you hurt your faith. Because you're thrusting it away. You're saying, no, I don't believe you, God. So how can you believe God over here and then, then not believe God over here and believe God over here? Well, it doesn't work. So your faith gets hurt. So my point simply is this, young person, is that, um, uh, again, uh, let me just, just put this parenthesis in here because it's important. 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, when talking about the conscience, uh, tells us, howbeit in some there is not that knowledge. In other words, there are some people... Uh, the Bible basically said there's one God, and, and there, you know, he, he was talking about eating meat, that when meat was sacrificed to idols, there was not, the meat didn't become demon-possessed. It was just still meat. But some people didn't have that knowledge, so if they ate the meat, they would be sinning against their conscience, although there was nothing wrong with the meat. Are you with me? So obviously your, your conscience needs to be biblically taught. And if it's not biblically taught, obviously you need to get it biblically taught. And that, that I may preach a whole message on getting your conscience biblically taught because you need a biblically taught conscience. But the point is, when it's biblical, and even when your conscience isn't biblically taught, to go against your conscience when you think you're doing wrong, you hurt yourself. That's the whole point of 1 Corinthians chapter number 8 and many other passages. Don't do something that will embolder somebody who has no knowledge to do something they think is wrong. Whether therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. In other words, if eating meat makes my brother offend, I'm not eating meat. Okay, so, so that's where he's going with it. So the point is, uh, is your conscience is important. 
In fact, uh, in First Corinthians, um, excuse me, Romans chapter number thirteen, it tells you, you know, why you ought to obey the rules, not for wrath's sake, for conscience' sake. Do you know you ought not obey the rules because you're, you don't want to get demerits? That's not the primary motivation. You know, there's something much more at stake than uh, than uh, demerits. You know what it is? Your conscience. <laughs> Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath's sake, but also for conscience' sake. Romans 3, uh, 13, and verse number 5. The conscience is a big deal. And I believe the reason many of you in your generation have no power of God and do not have the hand of God and do not have the presence of God on their life is simply because they make a habit of thrusting their conscience away. And you hurt your faith. Listen, young men, when you stand in the pulpit, you better have total confidence that book's true. And the only way you're going to get total confidence is that book's true is that you obey it and believe it enough to obey it. So when you watch something you know you shouldn't watch, or you compromise a little bit here, or as already mentioned in dress, and you know, no, you know it, but you thrust it away. That's why, that's why your Christian life isn't working. That's why you're saying, man, I wish I could, you know, I wish I could be like that person. I need to meet with God. Why can't I? Well, it's real simple because your faith's hurt because you've thrust your conscience away and God simply says you do that and you're going to shipwreck your faith. So one way, obviously, that, uh, to, is to protect your conscience. Get a biblically taught conscience, which I would assume here most of you do have, uh, and then uh, protect it and uh, by doing what God wants you to do. So uh, that's, uh, that's one. Uh, another thing that uh, I find hurts faith is, uh, is complaining. Many years ago, I walked into a dormitory room as a freshman at Bob Jones University in 1978. Does that sound like a long time ago to you? Uh, but anyway, 1978, walked into a dormitory room, and on the back of it, there was a little card, and it said in bold letters, no griping tolerated. It was like the number one thing, no griping tolerated. As a freshman, I'm thinking, why did they put that on there? If there's, if there's a Christian college sin, you know what it is? Griping. It's statements of unbelief. Have you ever made this statement? Oh, I'm never going to get this all done. Don't make statements like that. The Bible says I can do through. You, ought to do, you can do everything God wants you to do. When you make statements like that, you know what you're saying? God, I don't believe you. Hurts your faith. In fact, and I know we've got to be careful on this, we've got to be tactful and all that kind of stuff, but when other people make unbelieving statements, you know what you need to do? Correct them. Otherwise, you get hurt. You know one of the tra tragic things of griping and complaining, don't you? It spreads. <laughs> it's worse than cancer. I mean, it spreads. Just, <sighs> you ever just kind of going through life, having a pretty good attitude, and somebody says, oh, that teacher, he's so hard. And, oh, yeah, they really are hard, aren't they? You know? And then you, there you go, down the road, same road. You know? Dr. Paul, I mean, doesn't he realize none of us are as smart as he is? You know, whatever it might be. I, 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 uh, but my point, friends, is let me just read a couple things here uh, out of Numbers 13. And they brought up an evil report of the land, the 10 spies, or the, 12, the 12, 10 spies, but the 12 uh, obviously went, but 10 came back, which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it, is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. Uh, 31, 33. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go against this people, for they are stronger than we. And there we saw giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So how do you think the children of Israel thought? Oh, that's great. Let's go. Let's go tomorrow. 
No, it spread through the entire congregation. They began to weep. Now, what did Caleb and Joshua do? Just sit there and say, well, that was unfortunate. Boy, I wish they hadn't said that. Now, let me read you what they said, because I think what they said uh, is, uh, is very important. I could read the unbelieving words that the children of Israel had, but for time's sake, uh, let me pass over those. And I've got to get the right page here. Uh, let me see here. Okay, here it is. Um, Okay, now here I am. I lost the page here. But I think we all know. I won't read the words. But Caleb and Joshua obviously got up and said the exact opposite. They said believing words. <laughs> so my point is, when somebody's griping and complaining, it's very important for you to verbally say something. Okay, don't be the ten spies. Be the Caleb and Joshua. Just say, you know, kind of. this is kind of my favorite two-word thing for complaining. Where's God? <laughs> right? Because what complaining is... When people complain, you know what they're kind of acting like? There's a funeral. There's a funeral in heaven. We've lost God, you know. Now, I know it almost sounds blasphemous. In a sense, it is. But that's what happens when you complain. So, griping, complaining, and throwing up your hands, getting in despair, and all those kind of things uh, is not a helpful thing, particularly when you articulate it in a public setting. So if somebody's complaining about this or complaining about whatever food, I, I would hope you wouldn't do that, but uh, complain about this or complain about this class or complain about this uh, situation or whatever. Yeah, have you ever noticed how it hurts your faith? Have you ever noticed how you walk right into that in the presence of God? Is that what happens? <laughs> no, it's like God's a long way off. In fact, if you've ever said unbelieving words, go back to the people and say believing words. I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. God's bigger than my circumstances. God can work all this together for good. I'm here for a purpose. I know this is the center of God's will. If it is, I can do what God wants me to do through His strength. So griping and complaining is certainly another arena where you can find your faith being hurt. Now that brings me to a third point, and I'm only going to touch on this, and that is fear. Remember uh, the man that came to the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus said, fear not, only, anybody know the next word? Believe. We all know that faith and fear are, are two sides, I mean, two, they're, they're mutually exclusive. You can't have them at the same time. Remember Peter? He gets out of the boat, he's walking on the water, and what does the Bible say? When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. He got his eyes off Jesus, he got on fear, and what happened when he feared? The answer is, faith went walking out the door. And down he went. Now, the great thing about that illustration you hear me preach is all he had to do was turn back to Jesus and put faith back in Jesus. Lord, save me. And he was rescued. He went from faith to fear back to faith pretty quickly. So when you have fear, do what Peter did and get back to Jesus as quick as you can so you're not going blub, 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 blub. Because it's hard to pray underwater. You know what I'm talking about? So you only got a few seconds. So get it out there fast. Lord, save me. Now, some of you come from situations where you, um, you have a lot of insecurities. Now, I, I try to preach a message, a full message on this. Some of you may remember we talked about fear not. I studied, or not study, but I read every passage or looked at every passage that said fear not or be not afraid. It was just an interesting quick study that I did in preparation for that message. And the point is the answer for fear is always the same. The answer is God. <laughs> I will be with thee. So um, uh, some of you grew up in situations, this is what I want to say, where um, you have a lot of insecurity. And you know what insecurity is? It's fears. 
Fear of failure, fear you're not good enough, fear you don't have the skill set, fear. Some of you live in fear, and I'm going to tell you why. Many of you, and please understand, this is not for you to blame your parents. You're, you're big boys and girls, so you need to understand life because you have to help others. Often that comes because there was not an, a, a positive affirmation in the home. And uh, everybody's going to have some insecurities because obviously we're dealing with imperfect human beings, but some don't really struggle with it as much because they had a lot of positive affirmation. I thank the Lord for my mother and father, uh, a lot of positive affirmation. And uh, it varies, very helpful. But some of you do come from homes where your parents are good people, and perhaps they didn't get positive affirmation from their parents, so they translated that into your home where you got very little positive affirmation. As a result, you have a lot of insecurities. If you compare yourself a lot, if you wonder what people are thinking, that generally means you're insecure. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You live in fear, fear of failure, fear of not measuring up to somebody else. And you, it, it dominates your life. And I, I will tell you, when you live that way, guess what happens? You're not walking by faith. Because <laughs> I say this, Jesus, God made you exactly how he wanted you to be made to accomplish something that only you can accomplish like God made you to do. You are uniquely made of God. Can I say this? Nobody can do God's will like you can do God's will that God made you to do. Nobody else can do it like you. God has uniquely made you to do something that only you can do like God made you to do it. You're unique in a good way. So you know, I'm unique, but I don't know if it's good. Okay, well, the truth is it actually is good. Even all your oddities. I, listen, I've met some pastors. I'm sure Pastor Flanders have. And I, I, the same way. You look at the guy and thinking, there is no other church he could pastor in America but this one. But he sure fits this one. This guy's an odd duck, but he fits here. He wouldn't make it anywhere else. I love that kind of stuff. You know how it is. On the mission field, you meet a missionary thinking, I don't think he could do it in the States, but man, he's doing a great job here. Well, that's the way God is. He made me to do what I do, and, and there's great comfort in that. I, God uniquely made me to do what I can do. Nobody can do it like God made me to do it for this time. And, uh, boy, that, you just get excited about it. And God is the same for every one of you. And if you don't believe that, that's hurting your faith. Just drop kick the insecurity. Forget all that fear stuff. Stop comparing yourself. Stop trying to measure up to somebody else. And start realizing that God has uniquely made you. And get here, put your nose to the grindstone, start saying, God, I want everything you want here to prepare me to do what you made me to do. And stop living in fear. You say, well, preacher, I'm a C student. Okay, be the best C student you can be because that's the way God made you. Do the best you can and don't compare yourself to the straight A guy because you probably have giftings that that person doesn't have. God didn't make you to do what he's, God made you to do what you're doing. Now, you need to do the best you can. I'm not saying be content with your C's if you can do better, but if that's all you can do, do it. My dad was not a straight A student. One of the smartest men on planet Earth was my dad. He was not a straight-A student. Most of his kids got better grades than he did. I would say he was pretty successful in life. Fortunately, he wasn't insecure because of his mother. He just did the best he could, and that's what he got, okay? Worked hard. And, okay, my point, friends, simply is stop comparing yourself and stop getting insecure and stop worrying. Fear is the killer. God is simply saying to all of you, fear not, only believe. So fear is another killer. Let me give you one last killer. Go to Ephesians chapter number 6, some we just did uh, passing through here. But Ephesians chapter number 6, I want to show you one more. And this is what I'm going to call the mystery killer of faith. This one's the one that most people miss. I know for years this one plummeted me. 
And I, I still have to be careful because uh, in a moment we'll understand why. Because this one is, is one that will really get, when you start walking by faith and you start getting a hold of some of this, uh, that, that, uh, this consistency in your life, this is the one will get you. Okay, look if you would please at Ephesians 6 and look at verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against you, tell me. Okay, remember this. Deception is so that you won't know what it is. See, Satan operates on deception. Satan, when he attacks you, doesn't want you to know that it's him. He wants to attack you in such a way that your thought is not even at all on Satan. Now, I've learned this about, and I've got a long way to go, I'm sure, but I've learned this about satanic attack, and that is, when it first hits you, you don't realize it's Satan. <laughs> you think it's something else. So if you don't think it's Satan and you think it's something else and you respond like it's something else, then he was effective in his deception. Let me give you just a quick illustration. A few years back, I was talking to an assistant pastor, and we were talking about this, and he said, you know, sometimes he said, I am really walking with God, and all of a sudden, boom, he said, I get hit with sensual thoughts, and I'm thinking, where did that come from? And I remember as we were talking, I said, well, you know, it, the possibility is, I'm learning that the possibility is that that was not sourced in your flesh, that was sourced from the enemy. Now, if it's from your flesh, then guess what you do? Now, for instance, when, when, when your flesh tempts you, there's a source. You know what I'm talking about? Driving down the road, bad billboard, boom, you're tempted. Okay, there's a source. None of us would say, where'd that come from? We know where it came from. Okay, you're walking through the public arena, there's some immodesty. Okay, boom, you know where the temptation comes from. Are you tracking with me? So when you know, or you know, you're sitting there and your roommate's being an idiot and you're provoked to blow him away, you know where that temptation comes from. Okay. Yeah, okay, some of your roommates, you just might want to start calling temptation. Okay, uh, provocation, whatever, nice little names here. Don't really do that. But um, you know where the source is. The issue is when you don't, then where did that come from? That was odd. So when this assistant pastor and I were talking, and he came back to me later, and he, you know what he said? He said, Brother Van Gelder, you're not going to believe what was happening. He said, I was in a prayer meeting or something. He said, all of a sudden those thoughts came. He said, instead of battling it like I was battling the flesh, I battled it like it was Satan. So I said, I'm in, in the heavenlies. I'm in Jesus. Jesus is in me. I'm seated far above the enemy. And I yield myself, submit myself to Almighty God, and in Jesus' name, I resist anything Satan's trying to do right now. And he said, those dirty thoughts were as gone as quick as they came in. Do you know what that means? It was the enemy. The first way to attack the enemy is to realize it's him. Can I say this? 90% of his temptation is in his deception. So the moment you realize, oh, wait a second, that's the devil. That's the very first step to having victory is the realizing it's the enemy. This happens a lot on the time of the road. You're getting this happen, this happens, and this circumstance goes wrong. And all of a sudden, the team kind of wakes up. Oh, wait a second. This isn't human. <laughs> For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Okay, this is the enemy. So you say, why are you saying this? Okay, have you ever really been walking with God, and then all of a sudden, one morning, you wake up, and God seems like He's a million miles away? Like, where's God? Well, that's why you need to spend your hour with God, because your hour with God is that battle, that faith battle. But my point simply is there's sometimes where you just need to realize that's the enemy. And, and sometimes I'll just have to say, Lord, if the enemy has anything to do with this dullness, in Jesus' name, I resist him. Because I want your will, I don't want his. So sometimes, let me just indicate that 
it's the enemy who's trying to hurt your faith. Now, just, just see this. Look, if you would, please, and we'll close it down. Look it down at verse number 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench what? All the fiery darts of the wicked. So the shield of faith always quenches Satan's attacks to believe God and to realize I've got victory in Jesus and he's a defeated foe. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Now, I will, Lord willing, this semester, if the Lord gives liberty, preach a whole message out of Ephesians 6, because I think it's important for us from time to time, especially as we begin to walk by faith, to understand the enemy's devices. The Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices. You know why? Because they're all exposed right here. You don't have to worry about the devil, because everything, everything trick he'll ever try, God's already exposed it. Now, some people are ignorant of his devices, but you don't have to be because they're all exposed. There's no new trick outside of this book. The devil is predictable. So, um, so that's another thing that will hurt your faith. Now, I think this morning I sense that, that the Lord has touched some of your hearts, and perhaps some of you sit here and you've wondered, why? Why not me? Why not me? Why am I getting missed in all this? Well, in just a moment, well, I just have a simple invitation. I'm just going to encourage you. God gives grace to the humble. A good step might be. I believe this, the victory started when Tristan broke in that meeting. I'll never forget it. And said, guys, i got to talk to you. And when, God, when he began to get honest, guess what happens when you get honest? God graces you. He graces you. There obviously may be other steps for some in this room. But if God's spoken to your heart, you've got a thrust away conscience, you've been pushing something off. Listen, there are some people in this room that know there are certain things you ought to do. You know it. And your Christian life will not work until you deal with it. There's young people in this room who say, I preach I could never talk to my dad. I could never get right with my mother. I have teenagers tell me that all the time. You know what I My answer to that is, you can't afford not to. <laughs> You'll never be a man or woman of faith when you're pushing off God's will. I don't care how difficult it is. I don't care if you have to go to prison for the rest of your life. <laughs> the point is, it's not worth it to thrust off the conscience. You shipwreck your faith. It has enormous consequences. And the uh, same thing with complaining. It has a more enormous consequence. Well, we've got to deal with it. And if you need to deal with it, deal with it. You might need to go back to somebody. I was wrong. You complained. I was wrong. It was unbelief. Verbal unbelief. I was wrong. I want to state to you that I believe God can take all those things I complained about. He's going to work them together for good. I'm going to declare it. You'll find God will do something for you. And then fear. Some of you got to deal with that fear. And others of you, it may be just recognize you've got an enemy. He's blindsiding you. Where did that come from? Oh, it might be the enemy. In Jesus' name, I resist that. I submit to your will, resist the devil. Now, I don't know what your need is, but young person, let me just say, you can live a consistent walk of faith. You don't have to be up and down on this thing. God wants you to fight the battle when your faith's attacked. Fight the battle is not over doing, the battle is over believing. That's the battle. You get a hold of that, the Christian life becomes a joy. Can I ask every head bowed, please, and every eye closed? Just a few simple thoughts, ones of which I hope will be a help.